0: You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Connecting the Universe, I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker, back at you with another interactive class out of the secret library of the Connected Universe. All right, well, I told you guys that this was going to be the spooky one since it is October and this is spooky season. During the after show last week, the Connected Universe members said they wanted an episode on shadow people. And so we will be talking about shadows this evening. We're going to be talking about a variety of different phenomena, not just shadows. And, and the reason being, not to um, not to try to discredit the the members. I want to give you exactly what you asked for, and I'm going to. Um, but we do discuss the shadow phenomenon a lot uh, within the class. We just did shadows and time slips a few weeks ago, so. Um, I'm trying to break it up a little bit. We'll definitely talk about Shadow phenomena. We're going to talk about other phenomena that is related. And uh, we're going to have a number of clips here mixed in throughout. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm wearing my uh, Jack. I don't know if you can see it all that well. It's my Jack Skellington Game of Thrones Halloween is Coming uh, t-shirt for the season. So I do want to let those know that are listening to the podcast version later, please join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time for the full Connecting the Universe experience on ConnectedUniversePortal.com. So there's a lot of great information out there in addition to the weekly class. Again, uh, those that are members, you get into the after show for that. But there's also a sneak peek and behind-the-scenes videos of all the projects, tours, different things that we're doing. Uh, monthly Q and A videos, exclusive articles, insider video travel blogs like Ancient Egypt, America, Southwest, Ireland. Uh, there's the morning mug videos, and we've really been doing a lot more with those lately. We're going to do some live ones here coming up, and uh, for the season, I decided to kind of dust off uh, paranormal vines. If you remember the uh, the paranormal wine show. As a kind of uh, bonus for you know, the news about those uh, wine jars that are found at Abydos, the 5,000-year-old uh, wine jars. So that was a lot of fun. So go ahead and check that out. All of this and more, portal.com. By the way, members, go ahead and get the app. Download that when you log into the community area. Uh through your phone, you'll find a link up there where you can download the app and then you get all the updates to your phone when we go live, when uh, new videos are uploaded, when there's interaction within the site. Uh, You can get all of that straight to your phone. And by the way, I I did listen, we're gonna talk a little bit more about this during the after show, uh, about the way the site is put together. We have uh, some new ways that we're going to be kind of splitting that up. And uh, well, the secret library I mean, this is a secret library, right? Back behind me. The secret library will become a real thing out on the Connected Universe Portal website. All right. And then also, of course, we need to uh, talk about Egypt, which is coming up here April 16th to the 28th, 2024. Uh, There's still time to get in on that and join us for the Stargates of Ancient Egypt. Egypt tour. Uh it's an amazing tour. You guys have seen a lot of the uh the, the footage and everything that I've brought back from there, all the secret esoteric ancient wisdom that we've uh we've dove into. And there's more on that coming in other formats that I can't really talk about at the moment. <laughs> so all right, see a number of people are down in the chat. Uh we got Jill nimchinsky's in the house. Sylvain, great to see you. Uh, Deborah Mueller, good to see you as well. There's Alina, our chat moderator. Wonderful to see you as well. Raven is in the house. All right. There is uh, Jen Greens and Salutations. Pump up the volume, Christian Slater. Actually, no, that would have been Heather's Christian Slater. is Still Christian Slater. Uh, Crow Emil S. Uh, good to see you as well. There is Sarah Youssef, one of those who voted for Shadows this evening. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it looks like she is in there on the uh, on the portal side as well. All right. Oh, and Jason Thompson. Uh, hello, everyone from Atlanta. Good to see you, Jason. Okay. So shadows. What else do we need to do here? Oh, the uh, class question. Um, so the last time I checked, okay. What was the strangest or most unusual type of entity you've witnessed? Nobody answered. I, I, there are a couple of comments, but nobody actually answered the question. So, if somebody wants to throw down there in the chat, what's the strangest or most unusual type of entity you've witnessed, go ahead and put it down there. I do want to, uh, I do want to say this because that, and we've kind of all been down that road. And it's one of the reasons I, that we've all come together in this type of setting, this type of a format to talk about these type of topics is most of us have had some sort of strange experience in our lives that made us go, hmm, what in the world was that? Some have it and they're just really, really curious about the phenomena, which is wonderful. But many of us have. and One of the things that is wonderful uh, about this format and what's been going on the last 25 years from uh, what's been going on with the advent of the World Wide Web to the different uh, television television shows that have been uh, proliferated out there that it's helping us to realize we're not alone in this phenomena. There are other people who have experienced these things too. So you know back in the day it was taboo. people thought you were crazy. We know re- we no longer really have that stigma. Sure, there's a few out there who are always going to to be like that. but uh, a lot of that has gone away. So, I encourage people, you know, tell your story, Yeah. so, and that's, you know, a lot of the stories that were sent my way over the years, um, you know, were people opening up, you know, either for the first time or, you know, where was a story that you hadn't really told before that sort of thing. So, all right. Let's go ahead and get into shadows. Alina says she answered. I, I guess I uh, I missed it. <laughs> so it must have come in late because I haven't had a chance to look over like the last half hour, 45 minutes. So uh, if you want to toss it down there, Alina, I know you've had a lot of shadow questions. So um, so that is, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that's probably going to be it. And uh, Sam Blue is in the house. Hello there, sending love and light to Mike and everyone on the chat. Well, thank you, Sam. That is very, very kind of you. So we're going to start off talking about shadows, and then we're going to move into um, some other things here. And so first, the first one we are going to cover, um, I have a clip here from Carl Johnson. This is actually from the Shadow Dimension docuseries and let me go ahead and bring this up he's going to tell the story there at uh slater mill and then we're going to get into some other stuff here uh, regarding that and then uh other other stories and other occurrences
1: we are now at wilkinson mill which was constructed in 1810 opened in 1811 and this tied into the early history of the american industrial revolution it has three foot stick thick rubble stone walls built like a fortress or a jailhouse because the heavy machinery was and is kept upstairs. And when the great water wheel beneath would spin around at full velocity, this whole building would shake like an earth tremor. You can still map out stress fractures in the upper two levels from when this was a working mill. And this is home to a resident shadow person who was seen before I started here. I remember we had guests on the grounds and they were very unsettled by the figure they saw walking in there. Eventually, I did witness the shadow person here. That was in January of 2013, during a paranormal investigation. A team investigators of the unknown was here, and uh, their founder, Jeremiah, and I were upstairs in the machine shop exhibit. The rest of the team members had come outside, and I said, Jerry, one of your people is still inside. He said, no, they're all outside. So we looked, and there's this form all black, like the absence of light, but obviously a human form. And it's moving rapidly, erratically. So we get our flashlights out, of course it faded away. So we were able to observe this thing for about 10, 12 seconds, and that's a long time to see a ghost. But it just looked like the outline of a man with no features, moving rapidly, not like a living human being would. Shadow ghost has been seen down here. I've seen him twice, and he has an opacity. This form can block out the light from outside. And it shows up mostly in photographs. You know, it's been photographed several times. It might have some agenda, I don't know, perhaps it's the spirit of someone who worked here. We, we don't know anything about history, we just know it exists. And uh, it has an attitude. And we had a group and I, I said to whatever spirit resided here, I said, we know you're lingering here. We have brought women and younger folk into your mill. I realize that is the violation of mill protocol, you want us to clear out, just give us a sign and we will leave. Not expecting much, maybe a wrap on the wall. On two occasions when I said that, a heavy spike flew off of the blacksmith's bench and went across the floor. And I always had people coming back here every year remembering that happened, they were eyewitness to it. And then of course I brought everybody out I said, well, we want the shadow person to cooperate, we're going to have to keep our word and leave now. So there's something here with personality.
0: All right, good friend Carl Johnson. He has part of Shadow Mention, That's episode three. So still uh, there, streaming on Tubi TV, Roku channel. YouTube has also picked that up here recently. Uh, at least I've been notified that they picked it up. So not on the regular free YouTube. It's one of those like a uh, where you can watch movies and things like that. Not YouTube TV, but regular YouTube. And so they've added it or are going to add it to that lineup. So that's another place where you will uh, be able to watch that. Jen says, I probably should actually go visit that place. It's, it's kind of right down the road from her a few minutes. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Interesting question here from Sarah. You find a big distinction between, ac- uh, distinction in activity between male and female shadow people. So it's interesting here. Is that a lot of people when they have an interaction with a shadow person, they don't necessarily differentiate uh, between male and female. Usually, they just say it's it's a shadow. Uh, I would say that there are probably more reports of a male type of shadow entity, whether that's uh, like you know the hat man type one, you know, hat wearing entities. Uh, a lot of times you'll get the um you know the men in black type of one which we're gonna talk about here soon uh you know and a lot of the ones that approach people in the middle of the night or running down the hall anything like that a lot of time the kind of quote unquote humanoid figure one is designated as in more cases than not male energy, but that does not mean that. Most shadow people are male rather than female. Uh, it's really hard to kind of gauge a number on that because you're going off of the reports that we have in place, you know, fleeting memories from people, that sort of thing, which is something that makes this research really difficult. Uh, but there are many, you know, shadow entities that do appear as some sort of womanly form, and and again, it's one of those, um, you know, you're going by some very, very scant features right so like a hooded figure well you can't really see under the hood is kind of the issue so is that male or female so you're trying to gauge by the energy of that um you know the you know the humanoid figures usually seems to be like shorter hair maybe even like bald sort of thing um now you have the old hag so the old hag usually shows up as of course a woman and that's usually the, the the little old woman. Sometimes this shows up as like a, a ghoulish sort of thing. Uh, but I I do have stories of people reporting that it seems like a, a womanly figure that is a shadow, uh, or they could see like a a flowing type hair, but again, uh, in shadow form. My good friend Rob Gutro, uh, there's a, a shadow story that he talks about that was his aunt. So you know, obviously, if it's his aunt, uh, then then that's a woman. So they, they do come in both forms. I would just say more. There are more reports that lean toward the male side than the female side, but I would say most people don't really even differentiate between the two. And um, so, Mister Kuman is. The old hag considered a shadow. It is part of the shadow phenomenon lexicon um, because of the whole sleep paralysis element that is associated with it. Um, there are many times people you know, wake up, they have the sleep paralysis, they just see the shadow. There are times that people wake up, have the sleep paralysis, and... They got the old hag sitting on top of them. So this is why it's a a related phenomenon. They seem to kind of go hand in hand. Sometimes the the thing that's sitting on them is is a shadow. So in one of them, uh, I do have it in the book, "A Walk in the Shadows," where uh, it was in shadowy form. It was the old hag. He could he could he could make out that it was the old hag. Uh, but it was still in very, very, very shadowy form sitting on his chest. Actually did not have paralysis at the time. And he, uh, there's Eric Girardi, physically grabbed her, threw her off the bed. They both went rolling to the floor and she disappeared. That was a good question. All right, and another one from uh, Sarah. Do you find that most shadow people gravitate to particular time period in terms of style and culture? It's a real mix it is really a a mix and now i think that's because um shadow people can be all kinds of different things right so i know a lot of people and i get the question all the time okay what's a shadow person they want like a single answer this is what a shadow person is and this is why they do this and this is why they do that and it's really really hard to give that answer because you could have a shadow person as a human spirit. You could have a shadow person as an interdimensional being. You could have a shadow person as a extraterrestrial. Uh, so it's really hard to say, you know, whether they try to gravitate toward time period or not. There, When we talk time slips, um, was that about a month ago? In that sense there, if you're seeing a shadow that happens to be a time slip, well, they are not really gravitating toward a particular point in time. They just are in that particular point in time. So it's really just dependent upon the shadow. And that answer frustrates a lot of people when I, when I give it, when I say, well, it depends on the particular type of shadow, but that really is the case. And, And, and I understand, you know, people want an answer that's cut and dry so they can understand what this is. It's like, well, we have to break it out from that you know it's like saying I'm gonna use a baseball analogy um you know the the uh the team okay great uh, but you have in major League baseball like you know 30 something teams right so you know you've got the Red Sox you've got the Yankees you've got well let's see who's playing right now the the Rangers and the Astros and the uh the Phillies and the diamondbacks, you know, those are all each individual ones. They all have their different characteristics, right? So, you know, it's kind of like, okay, which team is this shadow person playing for? Are they playing for the extraterrestrials? Are they playing for the interdimensionals? And then you have to ask the question, okay, if they are an extraterrestrial, um, okay, fine. If they are an extraterrestrial, where are they coming from? How are they accessing, uh, earth and our plane of existence that they show up as a shadow. Same thing with the interdimensional beings. Which dimension are they showing from? Where are they coming from? How are they coming here? So there's a lot of other questions uh, within that. All right. So I did, in in this example, I knew something like this was was going to come up a bit. Um, I did want to talk about, you know, for an example here, uh, the, the Albert K. Bender story, where you know what he saw. He's so operating the International Flying Saucer Bureau, 1952, when you had the big UFO flap, and all of a sudden, a year later, he shut the whole thing down, and nobody knew why for like 10 years. And he finally explained the story. And usually, when when I tell the story, I, I of course tell the the big part of it in which, you know, he walks into his bedroom, and there are three shadowy men that morphed through the wall. However, it, he had been here and there up to that point in time seeing, you know, one of these guys over here and he's like at the movie theater and he sees one of them, you know, down in the corner and, and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, the one day when he comes home, they just hear they come out of the wall. They had glowing eyes. They're wearing the hats. They had glowing eyes and they smelled like sulfur. Okay. So given that story, you know, a lot of people will say, well, these were the men in black, you know, they, you know, especially during that time when you had a, a lot of the men in black sightings around a lot of the UFO sightings, you know, somebody would say, you know, I saw this UFO and you know, there was, maybe there was some, uh, you know, some debris there that you know got uh, collected by the uh, the government and they, of course, it off as something else. But then here comes the, the men in black and they're, you know, interacting with some of the different people. You know, that was around that that time frame where those things were happening. So when you have a story where you're seeing a guy here and seeing a guy there and then all of a sudden, you know, three of them show up in the room. A lot of people are this is a men in black story. OK. Albert K. Bender says, well, these were actually extraterrestrials. And they were trying to get me to stop my research until uh until one day, like they had a fifteen year mission, until they left, and then he could go ahead and tell the story, which is what he did. And then somebody likes me, like me coming out of you know the field that I'm in, paranormal, supernatural, that sort of thing. I listen to the story. I'm like. The, this, is para, this is a paranormal story. The, these are the shadow people that I always talk about. These are the hat men uh, that you know, people always talk about. And and even with that, there's a variety of, of different hats. So if you were to go down that route of like, okay, you know, we're going to say instead of these other two options, we're going to say they are the, uh, you know, the paranormal hat men. Okay. Um, but they had a lot of different characteristics. You know, that because some of uh, the hat-wearing entities had had wide-brim hats and might have a top hat, sort of a cape sort of thing. Um, I've had one account of they are wearing an Archer-style hat, like something out of Robin Hood. And then the question is why? Sometimes they show them in threes like that, okay? Sometimes they don't. Sometimes just a single guy. So there's a lot of variety here when we start talking about this type of phenomenon. So uh, Jason asking, has there been any significant reports of shadow phenomena being violent or associated with pending danger? It's a mix. Um, Yeah, that does happen. Um, There have been accounts of, well, you know, the, uh, the case that we did that was featured on The Haunted 12 years ago now, if you can believe it's been that long. I showed Carl Johnson there a little while ago in that clip and a few years back when we had him on the show, I was like, Carl, um, you know, when was the last time? Cause he's, he's a demonologist and you know, he deals with you know, very severe cases uh, a, a lot. You know, that's his specialty. And I'd asked him, you know, Carl, when was the last case that you would actually deem demonic? Now this was, probably two or three years ago. So that may have changed uh, in that time. But at the time he said, you know, Mike, it was that case that you and I had in Oklahoma with the red-eyed shadow entity that we filmed for The Haunted. That one was actually demonic, but it hasn't been since then that any of the cases I've been on have actually deemed demonic. So you know, that tells us right there that Yeah, you do have those severe, dangerous cases like that. But, you know, to call it, you know, demonic or whatever is really quite rare. Ours was. That one um, had had gotten pretty nasty and she was dealing with a uh, red-eyed shadow entity in her closet. That does not mean all red-eyed shadow entities are mean, evil, nasty, nefarious. Hers happened to be there are many others that are just watching so again it's a mix it just really depends on the particular type of shadow Um, yeah sarah that one had there was a cat in the house the um it wasn't a shadow cat the the cat was getting skittish and that was where um when it was running around i followed it through the house and it stopped right in front of the uh the daughter's bedroom and i looked in i saw why it stopped because there was a big shadow mist that was forming right in the middle of the room actually was dissipating away it had formed up in the room the cat took off around the corner and then i tried to get a photo of it which kind of obliterated the whole shadow and then you know just dissipated away that was the the premise of that particular show the haunted which you can find it on some streaming platforms these days we were um uh, the season premiere of episode around the season premiere of season two. So we've been episode one uh, monster in the closet. which was one of the more well-received episodes, but the premise of the show was the interaction and reaction that animals would have to supernatural and paranormal activity. Um, so it had a really good premise. It was on animal planet, which is why they went that route. Um Yeah, Discovery Plus and Travel Channel, um, that that makes sense that uh, it has found its way there. So, all right, we've spent quite a while on on that, and we will kind of come back around and incorporate uh, the topic of shadows within some of the other things that we are going to uh, continue to discuss this evening. So I want to move on here to something that's equally as creepy. And that is the black eyed kids. Yeah, these are, um, don't let them in your house. These are definitely very, very creepy. And so what I've done here for some of these segments that we're going to do here is, you guys might remember my old Friday night ghost frights. I have clipped out some segments from these for uh, the, the descriptive parts. And then we have some uh, old edge of the rabbit hole stuff that we're gonna do as well. So uh, for those that wanted some uh, creepy cool music uh, this evening, here you go. Black-eyed children are strange entities, often described as very pale with completely black eyes and wearing drab, almost oversized clothing. While their appearance is generally disheveled and shabby, it's the way they talk that causes alarm to most people. They're disconcertedly monotone. Appearing on your front doorstep or even at your car, they will demand entry, but in the most peculiar way. For some unknown reason, they insist on being invited in. And they will say just that, you want to invite us in. Along with other methods of persuasion regarding food, making odd statements like, it's food time, or they may even ask to come in and watch the TV, all the while keeping completely monotone. One disturbing line they've been known to say is, this won't take long. It's almost like the classic vampire lore of not being allowed to cross the threshold of the house unless they're invited in. Those who have encountered black-eyed children report they feel they're trapped in a fog with a sort of fight or flight sensation. Part of them wants to give in to the demand and just let them inside, while another part of them just wants to run. Witnesses have reported that once they've refused to let in the BEKs and avert their eyes from these children, the black-eyed kids will suddenly disappear. They'll look up and down the street, but they've completely vanished. Most black-eyed kids appear to be between the ages of six and 16, but this can vary. All right, that's a little quick clip from the uh Friday night ghost Rites. that was number like 118 or whatever I had. I had done like close to 130 of those. Uh it's quite a few. And if you go on to uh the, and dig into the YouTube channel uh, and find that playlist, you can see like a metamorphosis of like when I first started those to where I ended up at the end. Um it's uh it's it's quite a change there's, there's a lot that that uh let's just say my skills as a videographer got better <laughs> um in any case uh, you can you can dive into that playlist and, and find the entire video there i'm gonna go ahead and, and link it here later so that you guys can get a little bit of an easier way into that so in addendum to this, I'm also going to provide some uh, feedback here from David Weatherly when we had him on edge of the rabbit hole a couple years ago. So David is, um, this is kind of his forte. He's written a couple of books on the black-eyed children and this type of phenomenon. He's, uh, you know, Georgian-Orient, coast-to-coast, is always like, hey, if you want to know about black-eyed kids, David's the one to go to. And he really is. Uh, he, had, he had come across... Now, this type of phenomena years ago, and just dove into that type of research. And so, we had him on uh, to talk about those sort of things. I've I used to investigate with uh, David way back in the day. Last week, when we talked of the Great Circle Earthworks, and I mentioned that I just stopped there uh, real quick that first time uh, en route to Indiana for some paranormal investigations that I was doing there. David was one of the guys that uh, that I was. Going to be investigating with on that particular trip so here we go with
2: David and the most fascinating aspect for me at the time was the fact that these encounters there wasn't a very clear way to classify them you could look at it and say well uh, these could be some kind of uh, ghost encounters uh, but you're going to look at it a different way and say These seem like they're connected to the the notorious MIB that are UFO related. And again, the more I dug into the topic, the more curious connections I found. So uh, eventually what happened was, of course, the Black Eyed Children book that examines all the potential possibilities for what these weird figures actually are. I don't believe for a moment they're actually children, uh, but the connections to other types of phenomena. That's very intriguing. And I kind of use the book as a way to. Uh, present those possibilities and give cases for each possibility that sort of reinforced that uh, potential. So it's a chapter on the potential that there are alien hybrids and it has some cases that kind of emphasize those aspects and so forth and really wanted to let people decide for themselves what they thought of the whole matter. And uh, I think I was successful with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Having read your work, and I do need to pick up the revised edition, but having read it and studied it, because on you know, my book "A Walk in the Shadows," you know, I get the question when it comes to shadow people are are, you know, are black eyed children shadow entities, which you know I, I don't believe they are, but you know, so I did. You know, go ahead and dig into, well, David's got, you know, all the information on this. Let me let me <laughs> dig in here and study a little bit, um, you know, because it's, you know, it's a very, um, to me, you know, kind of all-inclusive work. You, you lay out so many different scenarios of what they could be. You have so many different uh, accounts of interactions with these children. I think everybody kind of wants to know, uh, you know, because c- the whole thing about the black-eyed children is they want into the house. They, they want to be invited in. So what actually happens when you invite them in?
2: <laughs> That's sort of the million dollar question in some ways, because uh, now I'll tell you right up front, if you go online and, and start researching that, you're going to get tons of stories of uh, people who claim they let them inside and and all these various things happen to them. And uh, a few of those, you know, early on, I tried to contact some of those people. And of course, they don't respond back. That doesn't necessarily mean the accounts are, aren't valid. Uh, I have found through my experience researching this this topic that most people who have encountered these children, they are very, uh, often very reluctant to talk about the topic. Uh, they're they're still they're traumatized essentially. They're they're trauma victims because of what they've gone through in in dealing with these kids. So it's often hard to get uh, details or or get you know extensive things from some of these people. The more direct the encounter was it's often uh, the more difficult to get information from them. I will say that uh, I've talked to a handful of people who were in close proximity to these kids and all evidence indicates that the closer the encounter, uh, the more negative the the results are. So I have talked to people who've been touched by these kids or, or have actually reached out and touched the kids themselves and have had terrible experiences in the aftermath. You know, they've become physically ill and so forth. Uh, there is one story in the book. It's, it's a bit long uh, that deals with a woman and her child uh, and a very close encounter with a black eyed uh, kid. And the result of that was, uh, Again, it was some pretty nasty consequences. It was sickness and uh, other negative uh, domino effects that resulted from being in close proximity to this kid. So, you know, again, all the indications to me are these aren't children at all, but they're some kind of very negative entity. Yeah.
0: And uh, I would. I would also throw in there. I think that there's some sort of interdimensional being. So, like I've been asked a lot, are black-eyed kids some form of shadow person? And you know, I don't, I don't believe so. You know, there's a, there's definitely a difference between shadow people and black-eyed kids. So, you know, very, and it, it's really, how do I say this? It's really surface level because you know. Just think about this: with you know black-eyed kids, you get full detail of what they look like. Okay, uh, you sure they have the black eyes, and I think that's probably why people try to relate it to the shadow phenomena. Is, you know, the black eyes; they're uh, kind of very, very drab in their dress, uh, but you know even though they're drab in the dress and they have the black eyes, they're still very, very detailed. Like you can see you have a full kid sitting there in front of you or standing there in front of you. Uh, you, know, you can see the hair, you know, the details of uh, the clothes, the facial features, you know, all of that. Where with, uh, with shadow people, it's like in, you know, the word is a shadow. So you really don't get the facial features uh, most times, even though sometimes you might get the glowing eyes, uh, most times you don't see eyes. You don't really see nose, mouth, uh, anything like that. Uh, the clothing, if you get a kind of, you, you get kind of a idea of what the clothing is. If, they're, if they are wearing clothing, sometimes it's just a humanoid form and and that's it. But sometimes if they're like wearing the hats and the, and the duster, it's like okay, you can see the outline of the hat. You can kind of tell that it, you know, they're wearing a duster that would go with that type of hat, you know, or the top hat and the cape. Okay, you can kind of see the cape flowing out from behind it, but it's still shadowy in form. You don't get the real, real detail. Um, there's also, you know, with black-eyed kids, they need permission to get inside. Like they're, you know, there's coaxing you. To come in, whether that's like in the first clip, you know, um, you know, it's it's food time. You want to let us in, in, in that sort of thing. So they can't come in unless you invite them in. But with shadows, they're already in there. They're walking around. They're flitting about, all that sort of thing. They don't need permission to get in. So they they are different types of entities. But I do believe that there is. A type of relationship in the sense that um, I believe they are both, well, depending on the shadow. Again, that can be many, many different things, but some shadows are interdimensional beings. And I believe the black-eyed children are also some sort of interdimensional being from some other plane of existence that sometimes comes into this realm so i believe that's um i believe in that sense that would be a, a relationship there so i like uh where'd it go with Tom. Tom says halloween is coming up so beware of kids with hoodies that's right you never know if that uh uh kid in the hoodie showing up at your door is a black-eyed kid now that would be creepy wouldn't it? if somebody actually did that for a halloween costume and you're up on, you know, all the, you know, lore and legends of black eyed kids. And some kid shows up on your doorstep, trick or treat. Uh, you want to give me candy. <laughs> that would be really creepy, right? <laughs> you want to put your hand in that bowl and give me candy. That would be really super creepy. Oh, <laughs> uh, Wow. All right, so let's see. I think Sarah had a question down here. Um, all right. Could BEK be projections into the physical plane from interdimensional space? Has anyone touched BEK? Um, so yeah, that's um, kind of what I was just saying there with interdimensional space. And David, in that clip there, addressed the uh, touching them physically that a lot of people you know kind of get sick and that sort of thing, uh, which is really unfortunate. All right, so... We're going to move on a little bit here from, from black eyed children. Um, so the real creepy stuff, but still even this stuff coming up can be creepy. And a lot of people are interested these days in, uh, in skinwalkers. So of course there's a, the, the big to do with skinwalker ranch, but you know, the, the skinwalkers that comes out of native American legends with the, with the Navajo. And so, I'm going to do the same thing here with uh, with the clip, and I'm going to let that play so that you uh, can get the taste of the, the old Friday Night Ghost Fright. And then I'll come back with a uh, an interview clip with our good friend James Keenan. Throughout the American Southwest, the legends of skinwalkers thrive, with most stories originating in New Mexico and Utah. Skinwalkers are shape-shifting entities that live in and amongst the tribe, originally a medicine man or a shaman who has chosen an evil path and takes the form of an animal to inflict suffering on others. In order to become a skinwalker, the shaman must be initiated by a secret society of other skinwalkers and is required to kill a close family member. They wear the skins of the animals they transform into, which is why the Navajo insist the tribe not wear the pelt of any predatory animal. They don't want to mistake the skinwalker as one of their own. Skinwalkers are laden with many special attributes, including mind reading, controlling thoughts, the ability to jump high cliffs, and they're supposed to be able to outrun cars. They're said to be able to control night creatures, such as wolves and owls, to do their bidding, and can also reanimate the dead to attack their enemies. Witnesses who report skinwalker encounters report seeing anthropomorphic creatures, creatures that are half human and half animal, and the encounters are quick and sudden. For instance, in one encounter, a man and his nephew saw a large deer on the side of the road, and when they got closer, it leapt over a nearby fence with two legs that looked human. Many have reported seeing canine-type skinwalkers, creatures having the head of a dog or a wolf in the body of a man. One man even reported an encounter with a skinwalker that had a dog-like body, but it had a human head and human hands and feet. It had bright white eyes and he and his cousins encountered it on a path in the woods one night. Although they were paralyzed with fear, the skinwalker sprinted away into the woods, away from them. Many people also report seeing the canine types running alongside their cars, thinking a dog is chasing them. But then they look and are shocked to see the human traits of the creature intertwined with the animal. Some people believe encounters with skinwalkers will form curses and those who cross their paths will suddenly suffer from bad luck, nightmares and health problems. Cleansings from good Native American shamans are sought out in these cases with rituals and sacred smoke to ward off the bad energy given to the victim by the skinwalker. All right, so yeah, again, you can find that uh, in the in the Friday Night Ghost Frights uh, playlist, but it's also in the uh, Supernatural Creatures. Both of those are the Supernatural Creatures uh, playlist, and so will the next one when we get into uh, Wendigo. So, I'll, again, I will link all that stuff uh, in here. Those listening to the podcast uh, version later, you want to come on out here uh, to to the live show on uh, on YouTube or through the Connected Universe portal that of course has the after show and I'll put all the links in the portal too. All right. So yeah, Skinwalkers. This has been uh, really, really popular lately because of, of course the, the television show and uh, what's interesting about that video is I do talk about some of the different occurrences there that happened uh, before uh, Brandon Fugel uh, came on board and, and bought the property. And uh, the, the show of course uh, morphed out of uh, his purchase. Uh, really, really fascinating things that are going on there. What is what is powering the area? Why is there so much supernatural activity that happens They're Not just from uh you know the skinwalkers, which you know apparently are still moving in and about the area. I mean, that was a it was a curse that the Navajo had put onto uh the Utes. So that's where that stems from, and some of the really bizarre uh, mutilations and things like this end up getting attributed to the Skinwalkers. But even if there's not a mutilation uh, around, there are still times people who claim that they see these things, or they hear, you know, strange animal-type noises that aren't native to that area. That people that work those ranches for decades and decades and decades, they're familiar with the various uh, animal calls. Uh, of the surrounding area and they will hear things that are just like blood curdling. Like what in the world is that? So I do have a clip here from our edge of the rabbit hole, uh, edge of the rabbit hole episode with James Keenan. When we had him on a couple of years ago, a good friend of mine. And he has, he's he's been on uh, the television show. And he's done a lot of research out there in that area. So he specializes in uh, the research into the electromagnetism of the area. And uh, through his profession, he's, he's really uh, very learned in uh, petroglyphs and things like that of the American Southwest.
3: Whatever is energetic or whatever, uh, causes or or creates uh, this paranormal activity, there's many different types of events occurring. And they seem to, for some reason, be feeding off of the location and what that energy is. And after, it's kind of interesting because for the first five or six years, I had been leaning in one direction. And in the last six months, we've found so much new information and details and things have occurred that I've changed in what I believe is happening based upon the data points collected, uh, you know, what's been seen. And really, it seems to be that whatever is taking place is caused by whatever's underground. Uh, There's something very energetic. Uh, I, I believe it's magnetic. Uh, based upon data points uh, being collected and there's a unique uh, substances metals minerals i guess you could say it's hydrocarbons there's something specifically called gilsonite which is only found in three places in the world and the gilsonite on the Uinta basin happens to be uh, the best of this product And, and It's properties when mixed with probably the piezoelectric abilities because of all the quartz at the location on the Uintah Basin. It's very saline water in uh, underground. You just have this coming together of so many. uh, It's like it's almost as if everything's just melding together there at the right time, the right place, and it hasn't just been for a 100 years. You know, when I initially uh, started this off, uh, I, I'm, I I would consider myself an avocational archaeologist. That was what I was degreed in from the University of California at Santa Barbara. And uh, I tracked Mesoamerican culture and I tracked it all the way up to Utah and was big into the petroglyphs and the pictographs. And it was amazing to me what I was seeing that these anthropomorphic creatures and and these objects were just, they shouldn't belong from two, three, 4,000 years ago. It looked more like I was watching a science fiction movie or a paranormal movie from our current age.
0: Yeah, that's something that's really fascinated me about that area of the country, not far off the the beaten path there uh, to the south from Utah into New Mexico. There is Chaco Canyon, which is, you know, one of my favorite locations down there. And you see the uh, the petroglyphs of what are the star people. You know, this is the indigenous peoples of the area saying, these are uh, petroglyphs of the star people using the portals. And you have the spiral pattern that are coming down here to earth, which kind of like James said, is, is like very, very kind of sci-fi-ish. Uh, but but this is their explanation for, for what's going on here. And I do agree with him that uh, it's it's going to be something that is uh, electromagnetic in nature and has to do with the metals and minerals that are buried there in the ground. This is something I talk about uh, with like uh, my work with the Alaska Triangle and the other magnetic areas around the globe, that when we talk about triangle areas or we talk about the telluric currents, People commonly refer to them as ley lines. When we talk about that sort of thing, you know, we're talking about the electromagnetism of the earth rising up out of the core, it's spinning molten iron, which creates a magnetic field. That magnetic field protects our planet from the solar wind. Otherwise, you know, we'd be fried. It also helps to keep our atmosphere here. But, um, as it passes through, that magnetism passes through the uh, the Earth's mantle, the crust is interacting with different metals and minerals, and depending on what that magnetism runs into, you know the type of metal, how big the deposit is, that sort of thing, it creates different electromagnetic fields. And like James said, I, I believe that is what is happening there at uh, at Skinwalker Ranch in the Uinta Basin. So a lot of this strange phenomena is being generated because of that now when we say generated what does that mean because people have talked about okay there's ufo activity there's ghosts there's apparitions there's these skinwalker creatures what about the people talking about portals and um yes to to all of the above you know it is creating a uh, type of field a type of situation which can make those things happen. So, are some of these things time slips? Are some of them opening up portals that act as gateways for whether it's the UFOs or some of these uh, strange creatures? Yeah, um, uh, absolutely. Uh, we've we've talked before about you know NASA admitting to the export the X points the portals that are up there in space. Same thing down here. So that's a deeper conversation for another time. And we've talked about uh, that sort of thing before. And in talking about the uh, the skinwalkers, Zelina, who in the right mind would sacrifice their loved one, that that's exactly the point. Is basically you're you're damning your soul to become this this thing. Um, you know, it's it's basically like a uh, a cult. So this is a, this is a shamanic cult that has become these shape shifting creatures. So. The time has actually flown here. There's a couple more clips I wanted to show. So the the one here that I wanted to show is um, since we had been talking uh, shadows and we're talking skinwalkers here and we are in the few minutes that we have also going to hit uh, Wendigo, this here is a clip that's actually a sneak peek of Shadow Dimension Season 2. So, so far, the only ones that have been able to see this are those that are members of the Connected Universe portal. They have access to more sneak peeks, by the way. And also those that were at the Phenomenon Conference here in at the beginning of September when we ran the shadow dimension for, a, for the film festival part of that. And so there's an interesting story that is a part of this. It does touch on some shadow activities uh, Dan Klass talks about. But then Sean Gilmore talks about a really, really interesting creature that he saw there back behind the Hensdale house. One of the questions that we've had is, does this type of activity occur more often at places with reported portal activity? Now, when we talk about portals, this is basically something that is spawning off from uh, some different electromagnetic anomalies. You have that vortex energy that's welling up from the Earth's magnetic core, interacting with different minerals and metals, water within the Earth's crust, and that will create these different anomalies. And there are these hotspot areas of the world that are more active than others. One of these locations is the Hensdale House out in New York.
4: The Hensdale House became famous in the 1970s. A family from Buffalo uh, purchased the location in 1970 and immediately started having uh, strange occurrences happen at the house uh, from poltergeist activity to physical attacks. They were seeing entities and anomalies on the outside of the house that they couldn't explain, uh, and it ended up getting to a point where they needed to have some help. Uh, They contacted a priest from St. Bonaventure University, and it actually got to a point where he came and did a mass there, and then ended up uh, getting the okay to do a structural exorcism or a cleansing of the house in April of 1974, which didn't work. There was also an instance up in the woods Two brothers. Uh, they were uh, arguing about religion, and he ended up shooting him and killing him. And a lot of people associate some of the energy on the property with this, this brother that died because there's a shadow figure that's been captured, a full body apparition in the woods of a man in overalls. Uh, the shadow figure itself that's been captured, it looks like he's holding a gun. Uh, also, a Native American woman out by the pond. The whole property itself, it's got Native American uh, elements, and I feel like there's just so many different layers. Uh, dating back to the 1700s, that you can really look at and try to see what's making the, the land and the area around it tick.
0: Lands have energy, and some lands are sacred. Um, I think in Hinsdale, and I've talked to people of native, uh, the Seneca's and other natives that live in that area, have told me that that area was pretty hot for as far as uh, lots of things happening and for um, ceremony and things like that and so the land you know that the Native Americans knew where to find these places they could feel it because they dealt with energy like you and I deal with a commute in the morning you know to go to work that was their daily thing and so they could find these places and that's where they would do ceremonies that's where they would do rituals um, you know of coming of age and things like that I think that's Hensdale is a big part of
4: that well what I saw was like a, a humanoid figure at on the hill we were sitting by the fire and the team was investigating inside the house so we were kind of like having our, our break time and talking and we looked over and we saw what to me at first looked like a man kind of crouched down with his arms kind of like resting on his knees and the thing that was weird about it though really really big dark eyes and it antlers and It scared us so much. I'm like, what is that? And I found two large sticks that were in the fire pit, or the the firewood pile. And I just raised them above my arm. I started waving them above my head and yelling like you would treat a bear. It kind of like lofted away. It made no noise. So we see these locations that have heightened paranormal activity, that
0: have a lot of shadow encounters, also see some of this other strange phenomena as well that seems to be attracted to it is it the land is there something there about the land that is drawing these entities forth from whatever this other dimension is to come into our world appearing as these shadows all right and uh, yeah there was a a bit there with our uh, good friend, Cody Chris Sutton, who passed away a couple of years ago. i give a nice tribute to him in that first episode uh, when I had interviewed him for Shadow Dimension Season 1. Didn't even ask him about Hensdale. Uh, you know, we we're talking about Mineral Springs Hotel. And all of a sudden he just launched into an example using Hensdale. And so... um that was wonderful to be able to, you know, have that clip to be able to use in season two, and then uh, give him a nice tribute there uh, for for season one or for episode one of uh, of season two. So that is that that'll uh, be early next year. At this point, uh, it's currently in post production. So uh, great to see you here, Sage and uh, Mister Kuman. Ancient Egypt, Anubis, Skinwalkers, perhaps. Um. There are, it's part of the ancient Egyptian religion uh, where one of the parts of the soul is the shadow. Anubis is actually a cycle pump. In other words, what that is, is a, an entity, a guide to take a soul into the afterlife. So when um, the Egyptian soul, uh, when the Egyptian person passes away, most parts of the soul go on to the constellation of Orion, and essentially Anubis is like the ferryman, right? Um, and he he guides the soul uh, across to uh, to the other to the other land. There, the shadow part stays here on Earth. The Ka also does for a while. That's the animated part of the soul, but then it eventually moves on as well after it's finished doing whatever it wants to be here for. So we don't have a lot to, uh, we don't have time to dive into that. We only have a couple minutes here. So I do want to uh, quickly uh, do Windigo. The Windigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. It's desiccated skin pulling tautly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody. Its body was unclean and suffering from separations of the flesh, giving off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. Basil Johnston, Ojibwa teacher and scholar, Ontario, Canada. There are a number of variations to the Wendigo story, but these creatures are usually sighted in the Great Lakes region, often in Minnesota, and then up into the central regions of Canada. These humanoid creatures feed on humans in order to survive the harsh winters of the area and may have begun as humans themselves, making them cannibals. In fact, according to some Algonquin legends, a Wendigo spirit is created whenever a human resorts to cannibalism, something that used to happen at times during those dark, bitter winters. The word wendigo can be roughly translated to mean evil spirit that devours mankind. And devour it does. The appetite of the wendigo is said to be insatiable and never-ending, constantly feasting no matter how much it eats. The Ojibwe tribe legend states, It was a large creature, as tall as a tree, with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes, the wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. The stories are a mixture, ranging from a monster with characteristics of a human to an evil spirit who has taken possession of a human. Whichever the case, Many of these have grown to a height of about 15 feet and possess glowing eyes, sharp claws, and yellowed fangs licked over by an extra long tongue. While these creatures are gluttonous and constantly eating, they appear as if they're on the brink of starvation. Yet, other legends state the Wendigo are agile, possess a great deal of speed, and have outstanding stamina to survive the long winters. These legends also state the Wendigo can mimic human voices and lure people out of the forest toward them. Once a person is isolated, the Windigo attacks and devours the human. Much of our modern artwork depicts these entities as anthropomorphic creatures, much like the half-human, half-animal shape-shifting skinwalkers of Navajo lore. However, Windigo are not skinwalkers, and the Native American descriptions of Windigo do not include antlers on their heads like many of these illustrations depict. These carnivorous creatures are something else. First of all, that the Wendigo are not anthropomorphic shapeshifters rules them out as skinwalkers. However, the fact that they are humanoid, smelling of decaying flesh, incessantly feeding off of human beings, and being able to create more Wendigo creatures out of humans, gives them more of the characteristics of zombies from our modern pop culture. How many zombie movies and television shows depict a rotting human eating other humans and being able to create more of their own kind? Perhaps the modern zombie lore has had some influence from the old Wendigo legends. Yeah, and that's a big differentiation that I like to make there because I'll get asked a lot, you know, are skinwalkers and Wendigo just the same thing, but in different parts of the country? And it's like, no, because. The the characteristics are different. There might be a couple similarities in there, but just the fact that you have the, the Skinwalkers as shape-shifting creatures and the windigo as ones that are, you know, not only zombies, but, you know, they're very cannibalistic in nature and there's actually some. I know we're at <laughs> we're at the hour mark but I'm going to continue on here for a couple minutes there's actually some very very sad stories that are associated with this um and, and I include them in I include them in a walk in the shadows because people will ask me uh if there are you know, if if skinwalkers if Wendigo, to go some of these different entities are actually types of of shadow entities types of shadow people and uh no they're not but like uh, this individual here. So this is the O.G. Cree chief, Jack Fiddler, which of course would have been his uh, anglicized name. Um, I'm just going to read this this off real quick. This is straight out of one of my books. Uh, in the early 1900s, there was an O.G. Cree chief named Jack Fiddler, who was also a medicine man and known far and wide for his powers to conjure animals and to defeat windigos. 14 Wendigos are said to have fallen by Jack's hand, many of which were said to have been sent by enemy shamans. Still yet, others were known to be cannibals and craved to eat human flesh. In these cases, Jack was usually asked by a family to kill a sick family member before they, quote unquote, turned Wendigo. And one of these cases included Jack's brother, Peter Flett. Peter was on a trading expedition that ran out of food and he ultimately resorted to cannibalism. Several cases like this were recorded in the records of the Hudson's Bay Company traders. Eventually in 1907, Jack Fiddler and his brother Joseph were tried for the murder of Joseph's daughter-in-law in in a Wendigo case. And the two men pled guilty. Jack stated the girl was on the verge of transforming into a Wendigo and needed to be killed before she murdered and ate other members of the tribe. So yeah, definitely has that kind of, you know, zombie type feel of if, you know, this person was bit, they're going to turn into one and then eat others. That's totally everything that we have with, um, like the walking dead and, um, last of us, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, you know, but we're, we're talking about, okay, they did those things. They actually murdered those people to prevent that from happening, but there were others in, in that region at that time that did resort to cannibalism because of, Whatever harsh reality was going on at the time, like that, was on the was on the trade route, they ran out of food. People died of starvation, and others ate them. Um, and then uh, before that, this uh, this individual here, his name was Swift Runner. He's a Native American who, in 1879, murdered and ate his entire family that winter, claiming he was possessed by the Wendigo spirit. So he's saying he was possessed by the wendigo spirit. Essentially what it is, is it was a cold, harsh winter. They ran out of food and he killed and ate his family. You know, but, um, but then you have these legends of these creatures that kind of get meshed into the harsh reality of these people actually uh, uh, performing cannibalism. And you do see some similar types of stories. This was interesting on uh, the Alaska Triangle. Uh, with that particular television show. So we had the uh, the episode on the kushtaka, which is a very, very similar type of creature. The kushtaka is an otter, man, you know, type of a beast, right? So if you can imagine uh, a man type shape with an otter, uh, but would perform similar things. So hanging out in the woods would lure people out into the woods, would either kill and eat them, or... Would bite them and turn them into another kushtaka. So a very, very similar type of lore to the Wendigo, just instead of these, you know, other characteristics with uh, w- with how they look here, and like you see here in some of these, uh, you know, illustrations of what people think a Wendigo looks like. Um, you know, they had the the otter head going on. So um, so you do see some of that lore. And why that was interesting uh, on the Alaska Triangle is uh, we covered the Kushtaka season one, season two. You had uh, people around, it was in the Panhandle area. I think it was near Juneau somewhere where they were talking about encountering Wendigo there, which is kind of a far cry from the Great Lakes area, Minnesota, and then uh, Canada. They were kind of right above uh, Minnesota. So, but not to say creatures can't migrate. So, all right, we are winding down to the end here. If there's any last comments, questions, uh, that sort of thing. Um, see some comments here about uh, Hinsdale House. Uh, Sarah, perhaps there are links between Wendigo and Bigfoot. Uh, I would say they're two different creatures. Uh, you know, the, uh, we could get into all the different variations and, and things like that, but um, are they, here's where, again, you could try to draw some sort of correlation, kind of like what you're doing between uh, shadows and black eyed children saying that, well, they're two different things. The one relationship that they have is they could each be a type of interdimensional being that are coming in from some other plane of existence. You could make this that case for both Wendigo and Bigfoot as well. So that would make all of these different things uh, to some degree or not interrelated. So, all right, we are going to go ahead and wrap up the uh, public side over here. Really do appreciate everyone joining us this evening. Those listening to the podcast version later, again, please uh, join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Eastern time. Uh, you want to join us for the after show as well and get all the other material that's on the uh, the back end of the Connected Universe Portal, which is going to be um, we're we're looking at doing some things to expand it and make it a uh, an even better experience out there. So uh, that is connecteduniverseportal.com. Uh, Five dollars super chat from Tom McNicholas, spooky and interesting. Really appreciate that since this was our sp- spooky episode for the season. Next week, we have uh, psychic medium, Erica Marks. That's going to be an edge of the rabbit hole episode with Victoria. So uh, please join us for that next week. And uh, yes, like Jen said, Super Chat Superstar, Tom McNicholas. And Jill had a uh, quick question here. Are goes only seen at night? Uh, no, but um, I would say more prevalent at night, just like any other type of creature it's it's easier to hunt uh during that time but that's not they're not only exclusively uh seen at night so all right and yes happy halloween everyone Uh, those that are members of the connecting universe portal i will see you out there on the portal side everyone else enjoy the rest of your evening Till next time time really exists